Pakistan, you don't talk in this tone of voice. It's much louder. I've, all, all the preachers I heard in Pakistan talk very loud. Um, Wasim, I don't know if you normally talk loud when you're preaching in Pakistan. Maybe you don't. I have a hard time imagining you talking really loud. But um, the conference that, that, uh, where I spoke, I was the, uh, the final speaker for a conference um, in Texala, and uh, I heard, I heard two, two other sermons there, and both of the preachers, one was a woman, one was a man, and it, it was very loud. They spoke really loud. So I, I kind of knew that when I spoke, I needed to kind of raise my voice a little bit. It just reminds me that there's, you know, there's a lot of different ways of doing this kind of thing. You, um, you go to a church where there is uh, more of a tradition of the Holy Spirit being active, and um, there's different ministries happening where there's a word of knowledge or there's people speaking in tongues, and it is much louder and it's much more boisterous. And then maybe some of us come from a background where, you know, we, we believe, uh, we say the creed, I believe in the Holy Spirit. We, we pray for the filling of the Holy Spirit, but in our experience, this maybe happened more in a quiet way. And one of the interesting things about this congregation at Mountain View in the last several years, we have had these two streams of experience of the Holy Spirit coming into one place. I don't know if you realize that, but uh, it's, it's true. We have folks who come from a, maybe more of a traditional, maybe even liturgical background, um, where church has been experienced more in a quiet way, worship is a more quiet way, and others who come from a more charismatic or Pentecostal background, where um, there's more experiential, the, the, the experience of the Holy Spirit happens in a more visceral, kind of um, noticeable way, where there's a lot of feeling involved and sometimes emotion. And one of the reasons Pastor Dan and I wanted to do this series this fall that we're calling Outpouring, the, the series of messages on the Holy Spirit, is that we're, we're wanting to recognize that this is happening here at, at Mountain View, and we're wanting to provide some teaching on the fact that it's okay in one church for there to be differing experiences of the Holy Spirit. And our prayer is that there will be a an acceptance and a recognition and appreciation of, of all of these different experiences and, and that we can allow the Holy Spirit to appear and to work in our midst in the way that the Holy Spirit wants to. What we're talking about here is just theology. The word theology, basically, if you break it down into its Latin roots, it's God, theos, or theo. The ology part is uh, logia, the word. These are words about God. We're studying about God. And I love what Eugene Peterson says about the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He says that anywhere you pinch the Trinity, whether it's the Father, Son, or the Holy Spirit, what you get is you get all three. And so when we're talking about the Holy Spirit this fall, we're talking about God. And we are wanting there to be a greater understanding of who this God is that we worship and wanting there to be more of an acceptance of how God is going to work in our midst. Does that all make sense? So this is what we're doing. 
And uh, this morning, we're going to be uh, turning to uh, an amazing couple of passages. Uh, now, the passage that's listed in your bulletin is uh, Isaiah 42. And this is one of the things about what the Holy Spirit does. Sometimes the plan gets changed at the last minute. <laughs> so we're not going to be looking at Isaiah 42. It's going to be Isaiah 50. So that's the first place we're going to turn this morning. Isaiah chapter 50. I had in mind what I wanted to do and, and kind of later in the week, uh, God said, no, I think you need to do this. So we're, we're looking at Isaiah 50, but then we're going to go as planned to Luke chapter 2. So first, Isaiah 50, verse 4 will be our first reading. The Lord God has given me the tongue of a teacher that I may know how to sustain the weary with a word. Morning by morning, he wakens, wakens my ear to listen as those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. I did not turn backward. And then from Luke chapter 2, starting at verse uh, number 21. Now, this passage from Luke is the very familiar story when the parents of Jesus, Joseph and Mary, brought Jesus to the temple. Now, this was the tradition of Jewish parents that they would bring a child, uh, just after the child had been circumcised, to the temple to be dedicated. And this is what's happening in this passage. So Luke chapter 2, starting at 21. After eight days had passed, it was time to circumcise the child, and he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. When the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male shall be designated as holy to the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit rested on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And the child's father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother, Mary, this child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed, so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age, 
having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, then as a widow to the age of 84, she never left the temple, but worshipped there with fasting and prayer night and day. At that moment, she came and began to praise God and to speak about the child to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. When they had finished everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. The child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the way that you have communicated so clearly to us through your scriptures. We thank you that we have the promise of your Holy Spirit to guide us today to teach us something new. Father, we thank you that you are here in our midst. Pray that you would be teaching and guiding and that you would work through now the interpretation of this word to us. We pray through Christ. Amen. Last week, we talked about the fact that the Holy Spirit is, is often at work, uh, even in or especially in places where, or, and times when we would not expect it, when it's dark, when we're bewildered, or when we're discouraged, or on the ash heap, <laughs> as the Old Testament character Job was last week. He was sitting on an ash heap, and yet he was still aware of the presence of the Holy Spirit, the breath of God, God's ruach, the breath of God. And I mentioned that encountering the Holy Spirit is one of the most beautiful things that a human can do. And we noted that it could take various forms. Someone might begin to feel emotion, or someone might uh, start to laugh, or, or someone uh, might start to speak in tongues, or they might end up on the ground because of just being so amazingly relaxed. One of the signs of the Holy Spirit that I did not mention yesterday was, I mean last week, was prophecy. And yet, we see in Scripture that when the Holy Spirit comes on people, this is often what happens. They speak, they communicate on behalf of God. They're given a message. They're given a word, and they can share that word with other people. And so what we have in Luke chapter 2 is one of the most amazing examples of this. His name was Simeon. And we know almost nothing about Simeon. We're not really told... Uh, where he's from originally. We're not told anything about his family. You know how in the Bible often, you know, it's Simeon, the son of so-and-so, and the son of so-and-so. You know, we don't get that at all with Simeon. He, all we know is that he's in Jerusalem and that he is righteous, he's devout, and that he looked forward to the consolation of Israel and that the Holy Spirit rested on him. Now, this is familiar language. 
And it rings with what Bible students recognize as Old Testament notes, this kind of saying, the Holy Spirit resting on Simeon. The same kinds of things were said of Old Testament heroes like Joseph, Dinah, Moses, Bezalel, Joshua, Gideon, Samson, even King Saul. These are all people who are, who are said to have had some measure of the Spirit or that the Spirit rested on him. King Saul, you know, we think of him in kind of a negative light, but he is actually someone who had the Spirit and he prophesied, but then because of his disobedience, the Spirit that was taken away from him. But all of these are people upon whom the Spirit rested. And they were especially sensitive to God's presence. And God used them to do amazing things. I want to be like that. Don't you? To know that God is using you, that God is speaking through you, so that when God has something to say, I have a sense for what it is. So I think we can learn something from Simeon here. So let's take a look at him. As we've noted, he's in Jerusalem. He's there in the temple courts when a very special child is brought to, to be dedicated, Jesus. His parents, Jesus' parents were poor. And they could not afford the more wealthy person's sacrifice of a lamb. So they brought what the law allowed. If you were poor and you couldn't afford a lamb, you could bring birds. I think uh, Rachel just stepped out because she knew what was coming. Rachel really does not like birds. <laughs> but you could. If you didn't have very much money, you could bring two doves or two pigeons to be, to be given as a sacrifice for this purification rite of dedication for a child. So this was not an event, really, that was, was garnering anyone's attention because there wasn't a big sacrifice, no lamb or anything like that. It's just a poor couple with their birds and their baby. Except that there's a couple of senior citizens there who are especially attuned to what's really going on that day at a much deeper level because, basically, the Holy Spirit was resting on them. Simeon. Simeon is there, and he sees this young couple walk by with their two birds and their baby. And he somehow gets their attention, and he begins to say things to them that Luke tells us were amazing to Joseph and Mary. He takes Jesus into his arms, and he basically says to God that he is seeing God's salvation. He's seeing the light that will be shown to the Gentiles. When a Jew speaks about the Gentiles, what they're really saying is, this is a light that's going to be shown to the whole world. To the Jewish mind, there's, there, it's kind of an us and them mentality. There was the Jews themselves, but then when they talked about the Gentiles, they're really talking about the, the ethnos, the whole, the whole world. So 
These are remarkable things that Simeon is saying to this couple. And upon closer examination, though, Simeon's words are somewhat familiar. In fact, we've actually given this away this morning by reading Isaiah chapter 50. The fact that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, that he knew they needed that salvation, that this light to the Gentiles was part of it, this shows us where he spent his time with Isaiah. In fact, part of what he says is this. According to your word, as he's talking to the Lord, according to your word, Luke 2.29, the word he's referring to is the prophet. Simeon was in a place to make one of the most epic prophecies of all time, and it was because he lived his life a certain way by some very simple and yet effective disciplines. I'm once again indebted to uh, a scholar named Jack Levison for this particular insight and for the articulation of these disciplines, but I found them especially enlightening. And I, I want you, I want all of us to be aware and to consider living this way in terms of our seeking the fullness of the Holy Spirit. One of the things we've wanted for this series is that for it to be practical, for there to be some things that we can think about and potentially do as we're seeking a more fuller experience of the Holy Spirit, the hope we might be more open to what the Spirit is doing in our midst. So Levison identifies three disciplines in the life and the prophecy of Simeon and in the teaching of Isaiah, and then he even lists them a number of times throughout his book. By the way, his book is called Fresh Air, the Holy Spirit for an Inspired Life. It's a great little book. But first, he notices that Simeon lives out the words of Isaiah from Isaiah 50, verse 4. Morning by morning, he wakens. He wakens my ear. The first discipline is to meet God every morning, or at least every day, to be routinely awakened. We need this. Our tendency is to get spiritually drowsy and to fall asleep. Whenever I think about this, I hear on my mind the lyrics of a song by the late Keith Green. It's a song that I was actually, it was used in Pastor Dan's ordination and, and installation service about a year ago. The words of the song are this, the world is sleeping in the dark that the church just can't fight because it's asleep in the light. The church of Jesus Christ, one of the most serious indictments that may describe us is that we are asleep in the light. There's something about this world that has a sedative effect on followers of Jesus. And unless we discipline ourselves every day to allow God to wake us up, we're going to nod off and miss what the Holy Spirit wants to do in us and through us. It's as if we're, you know, you remember that point in the movie uh, The Wizard of Oz where they're just about there and they, and they get to this big field of puppies and they... They start walking through this field, and it puts them to sleep. It has this effect of just putting them to sleep. 
the world is, is like this field of poppies for us. It has this effect of, of dulling us and causing us to get drowsy and potentially to fall asleep. Morning by morning are the words of Isaiah. Morning by morning I'm awakened. Simeon must have lived this way and was therefore in a place to speak some of the most famous and inspired words ever because he was awake to what the Holy Spirit wanted to say. This child, said Simeon, this child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel to be a sign that will be opposed so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed and the sword will pierce your own soul too. Your own soul too, he says to Mary. Can you imagine being the parents of Jesus and hearing this about your baby? Simeon was able to speak these amazing words because he had been awakened by God. Routine awakening, the first discipline. The second discipline, Levison points out, is that of listening and not talking. Routine listening. Tom, I loved your time with children this morning. This is just absolutely, we're, in the, we're on the same page here. This kind of listening that's mentioned here in in Isaiah 50, is eager listening. It's edge of your seat, committed, devoted listening. Again, from Isaiah 50, to listen as those who are taught. The Hebrew word here is the noun lemud, which is related to another Hebrew word, <clears throat> the verb lamad, which is to teach or to train. But it's a kind of listening that's not just passive like, oh, yeah, 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 I'm listening, yeah, yeah. No, this is curious, hungry, expectant listening. This is saying to God, I'm listening, Lord, please teach me something new. You hear this prayer often here at Mountain View. You heard Dustin pray it this morning. One of the most troubling things I hear from, from folks, especially when I hear it from younger folks, is this. Oh, yeah, yeah, that old story. Or I've, you know, I've, I've heard this one before. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's the attitude that says, I got this. I, I already know this teaching. You know, I can move on to something else. Contrast that attitude with someone like Simeon, who not only studied the prophet Isaiah, but likely had memorized all 66 chapters. Or in his time, the whole scroll. They didn't have it in a book or chapters. It was just a scroll. He probably spent time just pouring over that scroll until he memorized it. You know how long Isaiah is? We have it in 66 chapters. It's a, it's a book. But this is what the Jews did. They would memorize Scripture until it just became part of the fabric of who they are. Have you ever, um, have you ever seen the Jews praying at the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem? They do this thing where they, they bob like this. It's called, um, oh, and I, I had a hard time coming up with it this morning. I think it's called canuncling. It's kind of a, a slang word for it. But what they're doing is they have memorized the Psalms and they say them in rhythm and they, and they kind of bob like this as they're saying. These are people who, 
who, um, they don't have a Bible open in front of them necessarily. They've memorized it. It's a part of who they are. This is what the devout Jews did. They still do it to this day. But why would you memorize Scripture? It's because it's like moving your tent next door to an inexhaustible gold mine. There's a surplus of meaning in Scripture. Even the same passage that you come back to time and time again, you'll see something new each time, learning something new about God each time you come back. The Scriptures are like a gold mine of learning more and more about God where we can ask the Holy Spirit, teach me something new again today. God is happy to do that. The second discipline, routine listening, not speaking, listening. Morning by morning, he awakens my ear to listen as those who are taught. Finally, the third discipline that we can see from Simeon's words with Mary, Joseph, and Jesus is that he is living out more of this Isaiah 50 passage, verse 4, that I may know how to sustain the weary with a word. The third discipline is to routinely encourage someone else. Those who are awakened and have learned are in a position to encourage someone else. This listening and hearing is, is not in order to impress someone with your prophetic word. It's not in order to hold a group of people spellbound with a sermon, um, or, or, but rather to encourage someone else. It's not to accuse someone of their sin or to preach some kind of a hellfire and brimstone speech from a street corner. It's rather to sustain the weary with a word as it says. We have uh, no indication that anyone else in the temple courts that day even noticed what was going on except this little circle of five people, Mary, Joseph, baby Jesus, Simeon, and Anna. And I imagine them just kind of standing over to the side in the temple courts. And the word Simeon gave was extraordinary. It was amazing exciting, and it was so encouraging to this mother and father. Now, this third discipline, we, we need to note that it's, this is not necessarily a popular view of the work of the Holy Spirit. There are those who teach and those who write about the prophetic word and the work of the Spirit in terms of, more in terms of personal fulfillment. that they present the work of the Holy Spirit as being mostly about giving us the power and the ability to do big things, things that might seem impossible or at least difficult, and that with the Holy Spirit's help, you might be able to do them with ease. I see the most exciting ministry of the Holy Spirit in a much different light. It involves relationships between disciples of Jesus, between you and you, between you and you, between you and me, relationships. It happens when we are called to routinely inspire one another with the words of prophetic encouragement. 
I can, I can almost always tell when the Holy Spirit is using me in this way. I, I get kind of a chill. Sometimes I feel something kind of on my arms, a weird chill or maybe some kind of emotion. But it's, it's when I know my words are being used by the Holy Spirit to sustain the weary. We need this. Don't we need this? Life gets difficult sometimes. One of the ways we get through it is when someone speaks the words of inspiration in our lives as the Holy Spirit gives this gift. It may be prophetic, but not necessarily in the sense of telling the future. It's one of the uh, misunderstandings, I think, about the prophetic word and, and what the Holy Spirit is wanting to do. This is not the same thing as fortune-telling. A prophetic word can often be interpreting the present. It can often be, and often is in the Old Testament, the prophets would interpret the past. They would talk about history. They would talk about what's going on right now. Yes, sometimes they would talk about what's going to happen in the future. But it's often sustaining someone with a prophetic word for right now. I love the way that uh, face-to-face, these services that we have, have once a month, um, where John Fuller talks to us about, um, does anybody have a word? He encourages people, encourages us to be quiet, encourages us to think about what God has been saying to us, and then to share it with the whole group. Because this is how the Holy Spirit is working in our midst. We, more of us can be involved in the prophetic ministry than we might imagine. Because it involves giving an encouraging word to someone else. Try this sometime. Soon. Ask God to give you a word for someone in your life. Try to be awake to his presence. Try to listen while you study his word. A lot of this is about being in God's word and and listen for what God is saying to you. To be vigilant to what he might say to you because based on that, the Holy Spirit is going to provide life for someone else, vitality. And then look for an opportunity to share that word with someone. And then would you come and tell me about it? if it happens, and when it happens. Because such a thing would be hugely encouraging to me as well. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, the Holy Spirit. Let's pray.